The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 86. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest Picard episode, Maps and Legends. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, if you can, we would really greatly appreciate it if you'd share the podcast with your Trekkie friends and help us grow our audience of listeners. And maybe they'd be interested in what we have to say about Picard, Discovery, and any other shows that are coming, and when we talk about classic Star Trek as well. So uh, encourage others to check us out and see what we have to say about these things. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, I do want to start with uh, a little discussion of something I saw on the CBS All Access YouTube channel. They have a weekly show called Ready Room, hosted by Will Wheaton, uh, where every week they talk about Picard, and they also give some behind-the-scenes information. And one of the things that came up was that uh, the composer of the theme music, Jeff Russo, the theme music that last time I said I, I liked so much, uh, mentioned that the flute that they have at the beginning it recalls Picard's Rasekian flute from the TNG episode Inner Light, which uh, Jimmy so helpfully reminds me of the title of every time I forget because I can never <laughs> seem to remember it. Uh, so I thought that was kind of neat. And also, uh, this most recent episode of Ready Room, uh, Will Wheaton interviews Akiva Goldsman, one of the executive producers of the show, one of the showrunners. And he made the distinction that Picard is sci-fi drama, where Discovery is sci-fi action. Uh, And, you know, there's a lot more things blowing up in Discovery than there is on Picard. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like that. Yeah, there are other variations, too, like sci-fi political thriller, which is Babylon 5, or sci-fi western, which is Serenity, or sci-fi comedy, which is the Orville. Right. Right. Yeah. I want uh, to see sci-fi mystery. <laughs> that would be interesting. Has it been well, people have already been joking about, you know, CSI, uh, CSI regular four or something like that. You <laughs> <Yes>. know, <laughs> 20, 24th century police procedural. No, that would yep. be, that's what, yeah. Yeah. Well, the expanse had a little bit of that for, for a while, but yeah, that would, that would be interesting. Um, <laughs> so, that, so I thought it was a, a, interesting. He gave some interesting insights, a lot of interesting behind the scenes of the way they think about the series and how it fits in with things. And uh, I think it makes sense for Picard to be more drama than action, given that the lead character is, nearly 80 years old now uh, yeah. tough for him to, to kind of to do a lot of that action um and then they also said that the f- the first three episodes of this series act like a self-contained pilot for the series so uh, sort of like uh, the first two episodes of discovery were a, a pilot for that series so a very interesting uh helps you understand how things are developing as they do in this that makes sense because there was a as they were releasing Picard, they uh, 
released or they showed at a major convention somewhere. I don't remember where here in the United States, but um, that the first three episodes. And right. they said that, that this was the, the first three episodes were before he goes into space. It's the third episode he goes into actually goes into space. So that first of all, that's something for us to look for the next week. But that explains why they did that. Those three episodes, because they're saying like these three episodes are one. They're like a three parter more than a three right. individual episodes. It's right. the first act of a 10 hour movie. Yes. In fact, that's one of the things uh, uh, Goldsman was saying was that in the, the old TNG era or TOS era, each individual episode was sort of self was a self-contained story and you could do different kinds of stories in each of those. Whereas in the new serialized way of thinking things, the season is a is one episode, essentially one story. Right. Uh, so very interesting. So you can check that out on the CBS All Access YouTube channel. It's, they call it Ready Room. So it's, it's interesting behind the scenes. So let's talk about this episode. Uh, it starts off on First Contact Day, uh, 14 years previously to the events we've been watching. Um, and that allows us to establish that the Picard series main time frame is 2399. Right. Because, uh, yes, because we've seen that uh, the... Uh, Synth attack is in 2385. Right. In a April, April 5th, first contact day. Right. That's when uh, yep. Zephram Cochran and the crew of the Enterprise uh, met the Vulcans <laughs> for the first time. In uh, Bozeman, Montana, was, where, yes. you're where you live, Father Corey. How good, far is Bozeman? State. How far is Bozeman from you? About a five hour drive. Uh huh. Which, when Montana standards, means about 300 miles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the the western United States, west of the Mississippi. Long distances are long. <laughs> well, yeah. and sometimes they're longer than they need to be. I've driven back from Los Angeles to San Diego on a Sunday afternoon, and it's taken five hours. But that's because of traffic. <laughs> it's <Yeah. laughs> yeah, it's not as far as, as in distance. So uh, we have this uh, uh, at Utopia Planitia shipyards. We see. Uh, the civilian workforce with the blue collar workers of the Federation, which is a nice new viewpoint mm -hmm. we get to have. And uh, this is the day of the attack on Mars by rogue synths. And we see them interacting with the synths. Uh, in a way that's not entirely flattering to the no. human beings. In fact, frankly, is not flattering to the human beings. The, um, the first thing we see is a guy comes up to a room of synths who are just standing there, like apparently they've been there all night. And this is their wake up, go to work call. And he opens the door and says, good morning, plastic people. And uh, so we get some nice othering right out of the box. Right. And they're like, good morning, Mr. Pincus. And then they all go to work. And then we see them with uh, interacting with other humans who are complaining that they don't have first contact day off. And they're cracking jokes with the sense that the mm -hmm. sense clearly don't understand, but the humans are enjoying themselves. So it's like yeah. having fun at the expense of someone who can't keep up with you. And yeah. this is not a flattering picture yeah. of humanity. And some people no. might think, oh, well, it violates Gene Roddenberry's dream of imperfect humanity. But if you think about the original series, you know, you had. Uh, Cyrano Jones, you had uh, Harry Mudd, you had the women who went along with Harry Mudd, you had the miners who were buying the mail order brides from Harry Mudd, and you had a lot of flawed humanity. Uh, people, right. you know, most of the time on the show, the people we see are military, and they have a kind of idealized military culture. Mm hmm. But civilian culture is always different than military culture. And so it's nice to it's nice to see that even if it's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, that's that's one thing I kind of 
mentioned when we talked about the, the Children of Mars, a short trek, it's we really don't know what civilian transport looks like on Earth in a normal basis. You know, we see Federation and Starfleet transport all the time, but as far as the actual what day-to-day civilians will use, you know, so it makes sense that they would have a shuttlecraft maybe based off an older shuttlecraft model and everything. But with the synths too, it's, it's um, you know, you look at them and they kind of sort of resemble data where they've got the, the, the yellowish eyes and all that. And, and the, the pale weird skin. color skin, yeah. Yeah. weird color skin and everything. But it's clear they're not as developed as data was mm-hmm. that they are essentially machines and you know, like the machinery, like the heavy equipment that you would use on a, a construction site. I mean, they're they're kind of the the over glorified version of that. They, they're just, you know, they look humanoid, but they're really they don't have the artificial intelligence beyond uh, for self-awareness, they just have enough artificial intelligence to do their job, whereas Data had self-awareness. I mean, that was the whole point of the episode, Measure of a Man with Bruce Maddox. Do you remember in Voyager when we learned that the uh, Mark I uh, EMH, the, the, the med- yep. emergency medical hologram, they were all decommissioned and sent to clean out, uh, you know, uh, dangerous what uh, antimatter tanks or something silly like that? Well, uh, they, they would do they do like all the difficult tasks like mining, like they showed some of them right. were were miners out on an asteroid somewhere. Others were doing like they would go clean out like, yeah, the baffles of the antimatter tanks or something like that. And in that case, the EMHs were much more self-aware than even these androids are. So it's kind of an interesting uh, fact there. Jimmy, you and I once had a conversation. I forget exactly where about, you know, that you said, I don't, I I wouldn't, I don't use uh, please and thank you to my, you know, uh, Amazon echo or my Siri because uh, they're they're just machines. Is that different mm-hmm. or similar? How would you say well, that? Well, I think the way I think there's an analog here to the way we interact with animals. Uh, animals do not have rights, and so it is it is perfectly fine to use animals to meet human needs, including killing them and eating them. Um, mm-hmm. In the same way, robots do not have rights, and yeah. they don't have the they don't have they're they're even lower than animals in that respect. At least animals can feel stuff. Machines cannot feel stuff. Right. So uh, machines do not have rights. It is totally okay to use machines for human to fulfill human needs. You don't need to be polite to them, at least at the level they are right now. But right. there's a, a another side to this, which is even though with animals they don't have rights. We, because of our human nature, have kindness built into us that requires us not to cause unnecessary suffering. So mm-hmm. even if it's OK to raise animals for human to be food for humans, for example, you need to do it humanely. You know, we mm-hmm. don't want to cause unnecessary suffering to animals. We have it built into us that we need to be kind right. when we can. And if an, if a, if you have a machine that comes across as if it's just a human so it's on our side of the uncanny valley. It feels like this is a human being. Then there's something wrong with you if you treat it like it's not a human being. Right. I mean, you need to, at mm-hmm. least, even though you may be aware this is just a machine, something is broken in you if you're okay with just being utterly cruel to something that feels to you like it's a human. There's something wrong in you if you're doing that, even though objectively it doesn't have any rights and frankly doesn't care. It may be programmed to act like it cares, um, but it actually doesn't care what you do with it. Okay, yeah, it's some 
some of the way that the, some of the shipyard workers treat the synths uh, feels a lot like what may have seen when there is like um, what we would have called as a kid, the slow kid, you know, the, the kid mm-hmm. who doesn't quite get it. And so you kind of make a joke at his expense and it's funny or the the immigrant who doesn't quite speak the language and isn't fast yeah. enough. The, it it comes across that way. Yeah. yeah. These interactions feel broken. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, although there is one worker who kind of sticks up for him, which there, you know, it was an interesting dramatic uh, effect that they, they've inserted here. Mm-hmm. And so what we have happened here is the synths are somehow they're compromised. We, we get a clear indication on screen that something comes in and changes the synth, especially the one that's in yeah. the room with the workers. And they start attacking. He's, he's got he's got an interesting trait name. His name, which is right on his forehead, is F eight. So what's about to happen is fate. <laughs> right, yep. right. It's interesting. And so he starts attacking, killing the other workers, and then they destroy Viciously. themselves. Yes, v- v- yeah, brutally. Uh, and then after he's done what he does, he shoots himself in the head with uh, whatever the tool is that he's carrying. Well, and they also, the, the, the synths, we, if they don't make it clear if it's this particular one that does it or if other ones do it, but they actually take over the, the, the planetary defense grid of Mars and right. turn the satellites onto the planet. Right. And start shooting down. And this is the devastation of Mars that we've been told about in the past. All right. Then we're back in the present day and we have, uh, Laris and, uh, Picard and, uh, Zabin. And Laris, played by Orla Brady, who uh, a Romulan with an unmistakable Irish lilt, I <laughs> I noticed there. I mean, I, just, I love her accent. Which comes out with, which comes out really strongly when she gets upset later in the episode. <laughs> yes. I, I noticed the Romulans all have accents from the British Isles in this. Yes, I guess that's the new thing, right? I right. really though, I really love uh, both uh, uh, Laris and Zabin. Yeah, I love yeah. how different they are and how they kind of play off of each other and barb each other a little bit i love yeah. the the romulans in this much more so than in tng in tng they just felt like strange they had strange costumes and strange makeup uh this it's much more subtle and much more like the vulcans really the like the, mm-hmm. the i've always felt like the vulcans were portrayed much more naturally than the than the romulans mm-hmm. were so i really like the romulans in this these Romulans are also emotionally, they're more relaxed and yes. they have different personalities and they're not these militaristic people strutting around. Right. Not using contractions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, you, well, yeah, like failing okay. to use contractions. That's what I mean. Failing, so, yeah. so speaking of, of word choice, um, this is the most cuss laden episode oh, of yeah. Star Trek ever. Yeah. We have like five different cuss words in this Mm -hmm. five cuss word uses in this episode we have an s word two f words right a d word and a gd word so it's like i'm not happy with this this is one element of of realism that reflects modern crude culture i could have done without yeah right including the the starfleet commander-in-chief dropping the f-bomb on picard yeah that was now it's jarring i I will i will say i mean i I agree it, it didn't need to be there but unlike Discovery, when they first dropped the F-bomb, this actually fit the contexts that they were feel used like they were, in. Yeah, like a teenager in using some, it for effect. In <laughs> yeah. some cases. Yeah. I, I, when Actually, when Laris uses one of them, it's, I, don't think it's, uh, I don't think it fits the context. And she's a Romulan. Yeah. This isn't part of her native vocabulary. That's true. 
So we are back at the chateau, and uh, Picard and Alaris and Z- uh, Zabin are trying to, are reviewing the security footage of Dodge's death, trying to figure out who did this. And uh, Laris refers to something called Zat Vash, the predecessor of the Tal Shiar secret police, uh, a kind of Romulan Section Thirty One, maybe. Yeah, basically, <laughs> and and they they she speculates that the Tal Shiar are just a mask that Jad Vash wears, and it's a deeper inner cabal within yeah. the Tal Shiar <laughs> that is and we're told the term Jat Vash is used for the dead who are the only reliable keepers of secrets and so <laughs> mm-hmm. the purpose of this inner cabal is to keep a secret so profound and terrible that just learning it could break a person's mind and so that's a promise to the viewers we yes. better get a pretty serious secret by the end of this um right. i right. mean that can be hyperbole but we still need a pretty monstrous secret and it apparently has to do with artificial intelligence because uh, Laris goes on to say that uh, Romulans don't have any AIs, they don't have any androids, they don't study cybernetics, even though there was a line about data in TNG about Romulan cyberneticists would love to study him. Yes. Um, mm. And so the Jat Vash apparently is has some really intense anti-artificial intelligence um, ideology that um that uh uh motivates the, enforcing yeah. yeah and mm-hmm. and are even conducting operations well outside the Romulan empire to pursue this ideology now what that immediately makes me wonder is is Jatvash itself ai hmm. um and are they secretly and have they secretly for centuries been running the Romulan empire oh mm. oh does this mm-hmm. maybe connect to discovery in the AI a lot of that as well, yeah. Mm. And I've seen this in other sci-fi things like Larry Niven's Fleet of Worlds series where you have an AI running things that doesn't like the competition. Doesn't <laughs> and 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 that yeah, and, but that passes itself off as something else. Interesting. Person of Interest, the TV series had something yep. similar to that as well. Uh, I, I, I like the, the, that Zatvash is basically a uh, pirate slogan. Dead men tell no tales. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, uh, I like that. So, uh, and it's thousands of years old, but that's one of the other things she says, the secret. Uh, mm. So it, it, it's interesting then that we have the Romulans digging around, and we'll get to this, but digging around in a, an abandoned Borg cube, uh, mm-hmm. which is essentially AI cybernetics, et cetera. So that, yeah. that should be important. So Picard and Laris travel to Boston uh, to visit Daja's apartment, which has been super cleaned. Uh, and Laris uses some Romulan methods of, foren- of forensic molecular reconstruction. It builds an yeah. image of what happened that night I, somehow through particle this residuum. Was, this is pretty cool. This was an interesting extrapolation. Basically, the implication is that they can scan this room on a molecular level and reconstruct what happened here in the past. Yeah. And so we see a distorted image of the scene where Dodge is having, uh, having a uh, date. Yeah. Dinner with her, yep. with her date, with her boyfriend. And he goes to a replicator and says, your replicator re- menus are really tragic. And then it cuts off. Yeah. And Laris realizes that this is designed to look like instrument failure, but it's not. And they must have flooded this area with anti-leptons, which are a real thing. I mean, a a lepton is uh, like an electron 
uh, a, a tau particle, a muon, or neutrino. And so there are anti-leptons, you know, positrons are anti-electrons. And so apparently you flood a space with uh, anti-leptons and it'll interfere with the ability to reconstruct, kind of like bleaching a scene, you right, know, yeah. uh, bleaching pigments away. Yes. Uh so they have to resort to other means to figure out what's going on. And the, they uh, they managed to use the metadata in, in Daja's communication logs to tra- track computer. down Soji. She, she, yeah, yeah, she's basically got a desktop, but it's it looks like a little bar, yeah. which then projects a, holog- a holographic flat screen above it. And I wondered why didn't they just wipe the hard drive on the thing or just take the computer when they left? But my guess is all that data is really stored in the cloud somewhere and they couldn't take down the entire yeah. cloud without look, it looking suspicious. So they scrambled the directories. Laris also said that they purposely don't completely scrub everything clean, but they leave things that could look like it was missed, but is really innocuous. Yeah. Like the little computer. Oh, I also like the fact that they're talking about like metadata from communications, which is precisely the sort of thing that the NSA and the FBI use today it's a tool they use today they don't know the content of the mess of your phone calls but they can tell who you contacted and (laughs) until they look up the content of your phone calls they don't know (laughs) that's why they want apple to uh give them a backdoor into the end-to-end encryption of iMessage that's (laughs) that's the the, that's some real world political stuff but i like the fact that they 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 bring this real tech you know current day technology into this so they do track down soji by this I was going to say, you know, a little irritated because they said that, you know, all the data looks the same. It's like, no, the data should look different. Now, maybe encryption Mm -hmm. is going to change how it looks. Right. But the difference between a phone number encrypted and a text message encrypted is going to look a little bit different. Yeah, this I think I think there was a flaw in the dialogue here. Their explanation of this all looking the same and how we're going to get around that didn't fully work. But what they end up doing is saying, okay, since Dodge has this twin sister, her AI might momentarily mistake it for her. And so we're going to look for error flags where it flagged something as a misidentification. And we're going to see if any of those are uh, people that look like Dodge and they indeed they find some mm-hmm. and Lara says and wherever her twin sister was calling from it was off earth but apparently you can't read the planetary code of the incoming number <laughs> well, well they said all they could find was a flag that it had come through subspace yes that's so, all they could see well from secret Romulan space apparently which is where we go to where uh, we now have uh, Narek the Romulan the, the, the hot Romulan as they call him and Soji, uh, <laughs> intimate, discussing the Borg cube that they're on, uh, which Soji says isn't a Borg cube, but is actually, they call it the artifact. Um, it's a cube that was lost and severed from the collective. So the Borg are not uh, the, the real presence. So we don't have the Borg queen and the Borg collective here. What we have are, mm-hmm. uh, it's sort of like the, the a chopped off limb of the Borg collective. These individual Borg drones that they're and they missed they missed an opportunity here because they have this question of can this can the collective reassert control over this thing and mm-hmm. they say the Vulcan guy Narek says or the Romulan guy Narek says no it can't that's not a real risk um, because to protect itself when you have a Borg submatrix collapse it it isolates it to protect itself and so right. they treat this they're treating this like a graveyard and someone says what does that make us and the obvious answer is grave, grave robbers, robbers. <laughs> exactly. robbers yeah 
Egyptologist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It all depends on the amount of time that's passed. <laughs> It'll be interesting, though, if they explore why this particular cube got cut off. Was it because of battle? I mean, it looks like it's oh. battle damaged with the. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, it's there. I'm pretty sure they're going to reveal it next week. This was Hugh's cube. Oh. And so when Hugh the Borg got reassimilated, yeah. we knew his cube went down. We didn't know where, but apparently it was in Romulan space That's at good. the time. Oh. And so I'm guessing this is Hugh's cube. That's why it disconnected. And see, that's and so that forth. was kind of kind of what was, was my what I was thinking too was you know, either it was damaged in battle and get, got disconnected, or it got infected. And that right. would mm-hmm. you know being Hugh's cube would be exactly that what caused it to get infected. Right. And and the big chunks that are cut out of it, my guess is that's not battle damage. That's stu- unless it's damage. Well, Hughes Cube was never damaged that we saw. Um, my guess is that's chunks that have been cut out by the Romulans who are profiting from this. Mm-hmm. Right. So this apparent scenario is the Romulans found this disabled cube in their ter- territory. Their um, their uh, harvesting economy. Yeah, harvesting yeah. Well, yeah, but their economy has been severely damaged by the fact that they had the supernova that destroyed the home world. And so they desperately need resources and money and they're cutting this thing up for profit mm-hmm. and they are. Have, but they can't do it themselves alone. So they've hired all these people from other cultures, including from the Federation to come in. They don't have the experts they need because right. 900 million Romulans died or whatever. Um, they have hired all of these uh, foreign experts to come in and help them with this, just like, you know, during World War Two in the Manhattan Project, America desperately, you know, wanted to build an atomic bomb. We used all these scientists from over in Europe, even including yep. from people who were former members of Axis countries like Enrico Fermi, who was from Italy mm-hmm. or uh, you know, various German people, scientists who were like German Jews that had come over. And so I think you have a similar kind of project going on here, which involves, of course, profit like it should. <laughs> right. 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 And and some of the drones are rescued. They're they're mm-hmm. alive without their implants. And we see them working inside the cube. Um and we see others that don't survive. So we, we we're gonna we mm-hmm. get a, a a scene of that in a little bit. But like you said, they're extracting the Borg tech to you know when, rebuild when you their society. Drones that don't survive. What are you thinking of? Because I don't recall that. Uh, the the scene where we see uh, the the nameless uh, where uh, Soji says, "You're free now, my friend." That drone, yeah, dies. I I no, I didn't take that as the drone is dying. I took that as they're they're taking the the parts off of this thing and they're gonna and they're reviving it. We heard a heartbeat. It's like the sound effect that stopped. That's what oh, I thought. I didn't I didn't catch that. If oh, that's okay. the case. I thought I thought that's what we were hearing. It sounded like a heartbeat slowing down and stopping. But See, I, was, I was in the impression that it was a, it was a drone that was actually already dead. But then again, you see a little bit of blood spurt when they remove the yeah. eye patch. Yeah. No, I don't nice know. body horror in that one. Uh, I guess we'll we'll find out next episode, probably yeah. uh, whether they're reviving these drones, because that's my sense is the it, it was all. The, these drones have all been in stasis and then they're reviving them one at a time and liberating them and patching right. them up. I, I, I got the sense they were reviving some that could that could survive and others that, that don't survive the procedure. Like the, There's some that survive mm-hmm. the procedure and some that don't, depending mm-hmm. on how integrated they are. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see. Be. I actually saw the preview episode for next week that, that kind of hints that we'll see something about that. So uh, 
even though Narak and Soji are intimate, Narak is a Romulan and won't tell her anything about himself. Um, I think yeah, Soji's he's really foolish. coy about it. In a, <laughs> he's being romantically playful. Yes, but uh, but there's a little bit of sinister in it too, just because oh, he's sure. a Romulan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's uh, foolish for getting involved with him in this way, even if she knows uh, nothing uh, about they've, him. They've kind of set this up though that Romulan culture as a whole is secretive. I mean, yes, Laris mentions that that you know calling, uh, calling the Romulan secret police secret police is kind of redundant <laughs> right. because they're, all they're the Romulans police. are secret. <laughs> yeah, I, I like how when uh, she's asking him a, a, a question about his about himself and he says can you keep a secret and she says yes so can i <laughs> yeah, that was a good <laughs> one proceeds not to tell her yes yes that's a good one uh then we have another scene where we get potentially a very big character development moment for picard where mm-hmm. he sees his doctor who apparently he served with on the stargazer dr Benayun, um who tells him he's in great health except for one abnormality in his parietal lobe some kind of terminal condition, something that's going to kill him in a year or so, I think is what at, they at said. At some yeah. point, although he mentioned some things that it could be can be treated. Yes. Um, and this links back directly into the final episode of TNG, All Good Things, mm. because the plot was driven by in that by the fact that Picard had this abnormality in his parietal lobe that would eventually in the alternate future we saw, which is also set in the 2390s, um, Mm -hmm. would lead to him having iromotic syndrome. So Mm. they had already established this defect in his parietal lobe and and it's paying off in this timeline as well. Of course, there is an elephant in the room in this scene, which I'm okay with. They don't have to necessarily answer this yet, but where's Beverly? Yeah. Where, right. who, who is this guy? His doctor. Where? Like, that's the big question I've had so far, is because mm-hmm. we've had mentioned the other crew, but not of Beverly. And that's a big one to me. And they could establish he's dead. I hope they don't do that, because there's yeah. no even mm-hmm. if the even if Gates McFadden said, I don't want to reprise this part. You don't need to kill her off. That's just going to make fans unhappy. Yeah, you right. know, um, and, and the if you wanted to kill her off, the way to do it would be bring her back and give her a really big goodbye. Right. Um, not off screen. But don't kill her off just because the actress is unavailable. Um, I would assume I mean, if I were writing it, I would assume she's off. I mean, she has her own career. She's off being head of Starfleet Medical or something. Yes. And so Picard has has this other doctor. Right. Who right. He knew from the past. Yeah, I mean, the, in the secondary media, the books, they establish that they, they end up getting married and have a child and that sort of thing. That Of course, they don't have to follow that, of, of course, but uh, but it'd be interesting that uh, if they if they stayed connected uh, somehow. Uh, well, that's where they could even they could even throw back to all good things where she was captain of the of the medical ship. Pasteur. The Pasteur. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so Picard has the reason he went to the doctor is he's looking to get certified to Starfleet as fit for interstellar service. And the doctor says, I don't know what kind of trouble you're planning to get into, but if you're lucky, maybe it will kill you first before, yeah. you, before it, you know, the, the disease kills him. That's pretty, pretty dark. But uh, yeah, but the doctor basically acknowledges you meet the requirements for going into space for Starfleet, even yeah. if you have a condition that may kill you in a few years. Right. So Picard's off to Starfleet headquarters. I like the these inter- interesting new instantaneous transporters 
that yeah stepping yeah, discs that apparently know where you're going when you step through it <laughs> like you've already mm-hmm. programmed it or something uh, yeah, maybe was, they're point was, to point something that you like you program your com badge and it reads your com badge as you walk up to it and beams yep. you over there yeah. mm-hmm. i like advancing technology that's good that's good yeah uh the the lob- they the, 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 incidentally this basically this technology has been used extensively in larry niven's known space series the puppeteer mm-hmm. homeworld is covered with stepping discs and they have many creative applications that get fleshed out <laughs> that could be interesting dr- dramatic uh potential so in the uh the lobby of starfleet headquarters we have hollow models of the various enterprises that are in the yep. uh, hovering above that's a nice touch uh, at the reception, or, or if yeah. not enterprises, at least varying ships, some of which have been enterprise. Yeah, the well, ones you, we you, see you, are you enterprises. See, yeah. yeah, you see Constitution class, see the uh, Galaxy class. Yep. At the reception desk, uh, the the Picard tells the the young man that he he's got an appointment to see the commander in chief, and the guy says, "And your name." <laughs> Yes. Yeah, this was in the trailers for this yeah. series. This was played much more for comedy than it is here. Yeah. Um, it doesn't come across nearly as comedic. Although uh, Patrick, here. Patrick Stewart does. He's polite. He doesn't yeah. do. Do you know who I am? But you can see him kind of annoyed at the end of the of this interchange when the guy says, nice to see you up and around, Admiral. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice to see you're not dead yet. Well, that part would be a little annoying, but when he's asked his name, he doesn't get annoyed. He's just, oh, Picard, P-I-C-A-R-D. Yeah, he almost kind of goes, oh, wait, I'm not I'm not as famous now as I used to be. Yeah, I'm not in uniform, et cetera. Right, right. Yep. So uh, he meets with the uh, the uh, Admiral Clancy, her name is. She's the commander in chief, the Starfleet commander, who is hostile right from the start. She is not happy to see him. Uh, right. She's the one who drops an F-bomb on him. And she, part of the reason she's not happy is because he stormed out of this interview the other day right. on television, and that didn't make and, and well. It said the Starfleet after, wasn't Starfleet anymore. Yeah, yeah, that, that that doesn't endear you to the person in charge of Starfleet. Uh, that's for sure. Um, he requests to be reinstated and given a ship and crew. And look, I know if it's a problem making me an admiral, so you could just make me a captain, which she calls <laughs> hubris. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, she gets very angry at him for his hubris. And uh, she said that um, there's this back and forth over this decision to abandon the Romulan evacuation after the attack on Mars. And she gives the other side from Picard's, Mm -hmm. which is, hey, 14 worlds threatened to secede if the Romulan rescue wasn't stopped. Like this was had the potential to destroy the Federation. And that was before the synth attack. And then when Mm -hmm. the synth attack disabled our rescue fleet we were building, we didn't have the ships to go forward with the project. Yep. Right. And then she she drops the bomb on him. She says, there's no peril here in this whatever it is you're trying to do. he yeah he he threatens her. He says he doesn't say don't cross me, but basically that. And, and he tells her she's at she's in peril here. And he says there is no peril here. Yeah, only this the, is delu- delusions of an old man yeah. who wants to be relevant desperately. Yeah, the pit- yeah. She pitiable delusions of a once great man desperate to matter. Ow, that that burns. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and the the thing is, her viewpoint here is a reasonable one. Yes. I mean, we know that Picard is the hero of the show. And so we identify him. But this is this is a reasonable viewpoint. She's dropping on him. And then uh, we, we go back to the board cube where we have a nice a nice plot move here, which is uh, Soji is starting her new day, you know, her day at the at the working at the cube. And there's a new person that she's going to help. And that helps introduce things to the viewer. It's a nice device that they use to kind of 
show us around while she's showing this new person around. And uh, there are lots of non-Romulans there working on the cube. It's We have a reference to the Romulan Free State, which is a, a, a bit of irony. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this- I like I like the security briefing that they uh, oh, by the way, the new worker uniform is way too hard to use it. This is the 24th century. <laughs> it should automatically fit to you. Yes. Yeah, but exactly. zippers are a problem. Deprive, <laughs> that, that would that would deprive Soji of a chance to and Soji, we should mention, is Dodge's twin sister. Yes. Um, but that would deprive Soji of a chance to help the newcomer and get past the ep- exposition load. I do love the security briefing they have. I love the Romulan who delivers it. He is yes. awesome. He yeah. is clearly yep. enjoying giving the security briefing. Then uh, the sign we saw in the trailer, uh, this facility has gone 5,843 days without an assimilation, which implies <laughs> that this happened enough to have a sign. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, they also have to wear these gray badges, which are re- um, reminiscent of dosimeters that people wear around mm-hmm. nuclear yeah. facilities. Uh, so... Maybe they indicate that Borg nanites are are active or something. He says, if it starts flashing green, run <laughs> yes, yeah. with a smile. He says it, uh, and it's called the Borg Artifact Research Institute, which is apparently a euphemism because what they're, as we said, they're really uh, harvesting tech to sell yeah. for their economy. Also, the Trill lady that uh, Soji helps asks her if she's help, if she's researching the XBs, and that's apparently short for X Borgs. Right. Mm. Uh, there's a, a mention. Narek uh, also shows up, talks to the about the Borg cube being discarded by the collective, and that Soji's working to reclaim the drones. He doesn't say rescue them, which is interesting. And he also reveals that he doesn't need the permission of the director of the institute or anyone. To do whatever it is he wants there, which is also well, he wants to. Oh, he doesn't say to do whatever I want. He he, right. and he says it to the camera so she doesn't hear it. But he doesn't need permission of the director to come watch her work. Right, that's right. Uh, we have uh, back in the chateau, Doctor Gerardi from the Daystrom Institute is now uh, there with Picard. Uh, Picard says he, he reveals that he never really cared for science fiction because he doesn't yeah, get he it. He picks up a book of uh. Isaac, Isaac Asimov's Asimov. complete robot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's kind of a nice meta moment that the sci-fi hero doesn't really get sci-fi. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, he for pretty him, much lives not, it. So. Yeah. It's not <laughs> science fiction for him. It's just life. Uh, Gerardi says that uh, Dodge was too perfect a candidate. I, I, actually, yep. just to touch on that for a oh, second. Sure. I've read a bunch of old sci-fi from like before there was even a word for sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, there was sci-fi being written for example, in the 19th century. And there was even, you know, the ancient Greeks story, a true story, which was science fiction. But even much more recently, like in the 19th century, you had people like Edgar Allan Poe writing what right. now today we would call science fiction. Right. Um, and and some of it is set in the 20th century. And it's there's still an interest, even though we're way past this technologically, mm-hmm. um, the and we're now past the 20th century itself. It there's still an interest and an appeal to seeing this science fiction. You can still appreciate it as science fiction, even though it's not how history played out. And even though we're more technologically advanced than this now. Yeah. Um, part TOS, of the interest the is just series. seeing the differences yeah. in what they were thinking. Like yeah. a bunch right. of this 19th century science fiction thought suicide booths were going to be all over the place in the 20th century. And it's like, well, that mm. didn't happen. Yeah, I was going to say that TOS, the original series, is like that for us. 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, and Frankenstein would was kind of science fiction yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of relevant to what <laughs> to the series, I guess, Frankenstein. Uh, so Gerardi uh, says that Dodge, who was was got candidate for the Daystrom Institute, we remember that from last episode. She was too perfect as a candidate for the Daystrom. Her in, and we, then we find out her entire identity was built all at once about three years previously. So we so now we have an age for Dodge yeah. and Soji. Um, and she says the question isn't what Dodge was going was going after at Daystrom, but but what about Soji? Like, so instead of trying to figure out what Dodge was going to be doing at Daystrom, she says, we need to find out what's going on with Soji. And what's that, she trying to do? Right. And uh, I find it interesting, too. Like, why I, I asked myself at this point, and we find it a little later with the answer to this uh, in part, why haven't the Romulans found and eliminated Soji like they were trying to do with Dodge? And we mm-hmm. again, this gets answered, but it's a, it's, it, it comes up here. Uh, so we have well, Soji. Of course, is where- the Romulans weren't trying to to destroy so uh, Dodge. Right. They were trying to capture her, but then uh, she activated, and so they tried to right take true. her out. Yeah, and we this comes out because um, uh, uh, Commander the oh, Admiral com- of Starfleet. Oh yeah, FaceTimes this Commodore uh, mm-hmm. Commodore O. Oh, and I'm thinking. The master is has infiltrated this too. Really? <laughs> oh, um, yeah. It's just now another one of the Vulcan. It's, oh. The mass is just another one of the master's disguises. Now he's a Romulan pretending to be a, a Romulan female pretending to be a Vulcan. Yes. Um. Yeah. So the Romulans have infiltrated Starfleet, and we so Commodore O is really a member of Jat Vash. Yep. And she has a Lieutenant Rizzo, who is another Romulan that's had her ears bobbed mm-hmm. uh, so she can masquerade as a human. And in the conversation between them, we find out that um, that the Romulans were not trying to kill Dodge, but to get her as an AI and study her. And then she ended up dying, although I, I kind of partially wonder because they scrubbed the scene. It, not mm-hmm. just physically, but digitally, mm-hmm. uh, all the records of it. And that makes me wonder, could they, could uh, Dodge, they, I assume they still have Dodge's body and um Well, she remains. got blown up. Well, she got blown up, but that still leaves remains. And, mm-hmm. and partly I wonder, there's a small chance they could even bring her back, but I don't think that's likely. Um, but Commodore O in talking to Rizzo says, um, you know, we had this one approach. It didn't work. We have one other approach and you need to make sure that one goes right. And she's going, I've got my best man on it. And that turns out to be her baby brother, Narek. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, and, and she then FaceTimes with Narek over at the artifact and is talking to him about what he's doing. And she acknowledges, yes, she approved this alternative approach, for getting to Soji. Um, and apparently what they're trying to find out is where is the nest of her fellow abominations? Right. So yeah. there are other Dodge type androids out there. Where's Maddox that, in creating these? Synthes. Presumably yeah. Maddox. And also Picard is now wanting to go find Maddox. So we have the Romulans and Picard both trying to find Maddox. And we're given to understand that there are other Sung type androids that Maddox has at some nest somewhere and right. Dodge and Soji were two that were sent out to do stuff that 
should be revealed to us later. And uh, and what the Romulans want is to find out where's the nest so they can track it down and, and presumably do pest control on the nest. Right. Right. Uh, that that's a yeah. And apparently Commodore O is head of Starfleet intelligence, which is really kind of scary when you think about it yeah. uh, for for the for the Starfleet that this. Uh, Romulan secret agent got to that position and and for all of the but we're betraying Gene Roddenberry's vision actually first season next gen when Gene Roddenberry was still actively involved we had the conspiracy arc in Starfleet that involved the highest levels of Starfleet being compromised by aliens (laughs) on a regular basis apparently (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) because we get the founders I like that I like that line from Commodore O if we had Romulans on this planet I would know and then you would know and then everybody would know because this is a problem. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> it turns out there are. Um, she also refers to Picard as the Hermit of Labar, which I thought was uh, interesting uh, p- characterization of Picard by Starfleet uh, officers. Uh, so we have Soji uh, back on the on the cube working in uh, the operating room where the drones are reclaimed. Uh, the doctor who's doing the actual work the the of taking the implants out calls the drones the Romulan nameless. Doctor. Yes. She refers to them as the nameless. That's apparently the Romulan name for them. Uh, Soji says, I hate when you call them that and says to the drone after the last major implant is removed, you're free now, my friend. So we talked about that before. And Uh, she says it in a foreign language. Presumably the language of whatever species the drone originally was. This is weird because in the dialogue, they seem to establish that the reason the Romulans are calling them nameless is because they don't know the name of this species, whatever it is. It's humanoid, but, you know, they don't know what species this is. So it's some humanoid species from a part of the galaxy we haven't explored, so we don't know their name, so we're calling them the nameless. Mm -hmm. And Soji doesn't like that. And the Romulan doctor says, well, nameless is a name. Yes. And (laughs) uh, so, uh, but then Soji talks to it in this foreign language and in a preview for next week, yep. we have a character who I won't mention the name of talking to Soji and saying greeting uh, or speaking to a nameless in his own tongue is really amazing. Right. So so maybe Soji has a database in her Android brain somewhere that where she knows about this species mm, and, and right. its language or something makes and will maybe make people suspicious of her. Interesting. So uh, Picard at home in the chateau, uh, contemplating things, pulls out his old com badge and, uh, you know, his old Starfleet style com badge and calls. We'll, we'll find out will be Rafi, his former first officer, uh, last first officer, which is immediately says, please don't hang up. I need your help. I need a ship. And then we get a little hint of the TNG theme song, by the way, right there, <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, so uh, we are clearly told that there's please don't hang up means that there's some bad blood. Yeah. And and this we should also mention. So where Rafi comes from is she uh, we if you follow the spinoff media, she's in the Star Trek Picard countdown comic and she was his first officer, not on the Stargazer and not on the Enterprise, but on another ship he had after that. Right. And if you want to know more about that, become a patron of SQPN (laughs) and you'll get access to our patrons episode review of the Star Trek Picard countdown series. Yes. In a timely manner. I'm sure we'll eventually release it to everybody. Yes. Yes. Uh, 
so Laris is uh, we find her is, is very is mad at Picard who wants to go and she says again drops a tea set <laughs> yes and uh, drops the uh, Irish brogue a lilt on on him too <laughs> which was a lot of fun and uh, what I love because she's telling Picard it's like you know this is incredibly dangerous you can't go do this yes and and uh, and the male Romulan companion I'm blanking on Zavon. his name again Zabin. Z- Zabin, yeah. yeah, he's he's like clearly she's right. You need us to come with you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she's like, you're both and, idiots. <laughs> and, yeah. and she's like, okay, take that one, and you two can go die together. Yeah, right. a little one bit of that Romulan we, fire. Yeah. One thing we do learn, um, you know, we'd kind of question brought up before was with in the comic, uh, LaForge was in charge of Utopia Planitia. We wonder before the attack, if not yeah. during the attack, but he's still alive, right? Because he's yes. mentioned you'll know, contact Riker, Worf, LaForge. You so know, that's, so we, yeah. we know he's still alive. That's actually a really good thing that they do here, because our natural inclination is to say, "Well, Picard needs a crew. He's got if he called Worf and Riker and Geordi and all the rest, they'd show up, wouldn't they? And of course they would. Yeah. And he says he doesn't want to. Yeah, he says he doesn't want to because he knows they would help and he doesn't want them putting themselves at risk for him again. Mm-hmm. So he like, I'm going to find people I don't care about. <laughs> they're going to be and the ones they, to they, help they, me. They point that out. Well, fine. You got to find someone you hate, but who hates you, who hates to, you, yeah. hates you and, will, and has, he's still willing to help you. you know? And has nothing to lose. <laughs> nothing he's to like, lose. I have just go. the person in mind. Uh, and that's when he takes a taxi shuttle out to someplace called Vasquez Rocks. Yes, I I loved seeing Vasquez Rocks. So Vasquez Rocks is a place here in California. It is uh, kind of a little bit northeast of Los Angeles. And um, it is today it's a park. Um, so nobody's built. Nobody's plopping down their double wide. There. <laughs> yes. um, 24th century double wides. <laughs> yeah. But um, and if you go there and I've been there, um, if you go there, there are all these signs about watch out for snakes. Um, but this is this this is the place where Kirk fought the Gorn, right? And and if you and there's a good reason you only see the the rocks from this angle. Actually, they're in a bunch of early TNG or early TOS episodes. Um, there are several of them, but you in the Gorn episode you only see the rocks from this one angle, and that's not just because the rocks are very picturesque. It's because if you turn the camera around, there's a freeway there. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, this these rocks are show up in lots of lots of media and in particular in lots of Star Trek. They're used with some photo manipulation in the J.J. Abrams uh, Star Trek movie for Vulcan. OK. And I love the idea that she just Rafi just lives at Vasquez Rocks because <laughs> <laughs> this is not Vulcan. This is or it's not some Gorn, you know, Cestus three planet. This is Earth. And yeah. you put these things on Earth, and that means she lives at Vasquez Rocks in California. <laughs> Which apparently is not a park uh, in the 24th century. Yeah. So Picard takes a, a taxi shuttle to the to see Rafi out of Vasquez Rocks, who greets him with a phaser. So she's really <laughs> mad at him. Uh, she says, there isn't anything I want to hear from you. And so, and he says, secret Romulan assassins are operating Earth as he walks away. And that's yeah. enough to get her to... To, to ask about the wine right. that yeah. he's got. And then she's interested the in, the, in the particular vintage of wine. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and this, the, for, I'm, very, I'm really curious. I'm looking forward to finding out why does she hate him? What, is, what has changed? Why, yeah. what, what happened between them 
to go from that is not covered in the comic right yeah uh, see so this, this is there's, there's something that um i hope they do kind of address in the series going forward he's alienated starfleet and of course we know why based off of that that hollow news show but yep you know there's something that started before that that alienated that the admiral he's alienated raffi we haven't got the clue that they've alienated you know the rest of the clue crew like we know that Riker and Troy are going to be in this series. Yeah. And, and most friendly. likely next episode. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like in the, at least in the previews that he's alienated them. Maybe he hasn't talked to them in a while, but he hasn't alienated them. Right. My guess is that Rafi, he alienated Starfleet and his crew from the, I forget the name of his later ship. Was Verity. Verity, or Verity. Verity. Yep. At the same time that when things went sour with the Romulan rescue that he did something that alienated both. We know what he did that alienated Starfleet. He quit. Um, but he, he also alienated Rafi at the same time. Right. Right. So, and that's, and then we end the episode with what you were talking about before, where uh, Lieutenant Rizzo, who's the secret Romulan visits via hologram, her brother, Narek on the cube. And, Narek is apparently part of her team of the Zatvash um, and taking this friendlier approach to finding out from Soji where the nest is and so on and so forth. And, and, and Rizzo is on her way to the cube. We've, we found that yeah. out too. Um, also, you're right. And when I get there, you better have made progress. Right. Also earlier on in the conversation between O and Rizzo, she, they have this word play about the word unexpected and how it's, um, bad for spycraft yep and she comments that narak has a capacity for that word that she finds disturbing and that suggests to me narak may eventually turn mm, he may eventually right. defend soji in some way that displeases his sister rizzo and commodore o right right uh so a uh, Something you said, Father Corey, that uh, we think you think maybe see Riker next episode. I'm I'm thinking we might not because I think Jonathan Frakes directs the episode he's in. I think, and the next okay. one is directed by Hanley Culpepper again. She directed the first well, the episode. Only, the only reason I, I mentioned that is uh, apparently Riker and Troy are in Alaska on yeah, Earth, yeah. obviously, and, and they're still on this Earth. This is supposed yeah. to be this next episode is supposed to be the one where they leave to go off into space and find Bruce Maddox, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. And so that's that's just my yeah. my speculation. I don't know if that's true or not. So I was thinking the episode, uh, the fifth episode, which is titled Stardust City Rag, sounds like a a Riker title. <laughs> you know, given <laughs> given Rag refers to music and Riker's the yep, trombonist. Yep. There. That could be true though. Yeah, but so. uh, but it's interesting. Uh, so that brings us to the end of this episode, and uh, we've got the the next one coming up. So it'll be interesting to see how yeah. they complete this arc and get uh, Picard into space. Right. Uh, so. It, any last thoughts? We've got some feedback I want to cover, but any yeah, last thoughts a, on this, this episode? A couple of things. Uh, Lieutenant Rizzo is played by Peyton List, who, if you watch Smallville, she was Lucy Lane. Uh, mm. She's been on other things with the CW, uh, yeah. the, the recreation of the Tomorrow People and other things like that. Uh, so she kind of shows up every once in a while. Um, and then oh, I and, like... And, and, oh, go ahead. Oh, no. I was, and then um, just a different one. Um, I like it, the, the conversation on Mars before the, the attack, the, they show the food replicator. It looks like a 3d printer. Mm-hmm. And they talk about how the food rep, how they, they want the food replicator to go back to the Una animal matrix. 
Yeah. And it probably is a connection to the Una glucose matrix from, from uh, the Q&A short trek. <laughs> That's yeah. good. That's good. Also, the reason the uh, the food replicator looks like a 3D printer is because that's what it is. They yeah. they took a pre 3D printer and filed the branding off of it and tricked <laughs> it out a little bit to get the food replicator. But it, but it sounds like an old microwave with the ding. Oh, yes, I right. love the ding. Uh, <laughs> also, uh, you mentioned casting and Commodore O is played by Tamlin Tamita, who uh, has been around in a variety of different things. She was the original com- uh, assi- uh, assistant commander on Babylon 5 in the Babylon 5 pilot before oh, Susan Ivanova. I didn't recognize oh, her. Yeah, she right. also had a role as a uh, biological scientist in a uh, germ warfare series that got canceled really quick and almost nobody has seen called The Burning Zone. Okay. Hmm. Uh, I recognized Peyton List from Colony, which was a recent series that she was on. Mm-hmm. And she's also on Gotham, which I haven't seen. But uh, so yeah, like she's, she kind of shows up all over the place. Kind of. Yeah. Is, she works. So that's which is a compliment yeah, well, yeah. for actors. They actors. Do, they do a lot of work. Uh, cool. Yeah. There's some good casting. I, I thought, by the way, Narek, the actor plays Narek is uh, where to Harry Treadaway. But I thought it was going to turn out to be the same guy who played. Um, Peter Pan in Once Upon a Time, the character, because mm, mm. they look ro- a lot alike, but he's not. Uh, he, that, mm. He's also shown up, that same actor who played Peter Pan showed up on Doctor Who uh, at one point. That's right. But, That's right. But mm. uh, I think the Romulans in this look like elves. Well, there's an interesting, in the most uh, recent episode of the Ready Room uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, video, there's an interview with the, the lead co- uh, costume and uh, character designer who talks about the design of the Romulans and how tricky it is because they have those pointy ears and those eyebrows. And if you push it just too far, they become, it, be, it, it becomes distinctly elvish. And that's, yeah. that's the trick. So uh, I like the design. It's much better than the TNG design, as I said before, but uh, yeah. yes. And they, they showed how they do the eyebrows. Each, each eye, each hair of the eyebrow is individually tied in a, in a, like a lace Not. matrix. It's it's fascinating. Anyway. Yeah, they don't just glue stuff on anymore. No, it, because of high definition, which is exactly. It's got to look much better now. Yes, they can't get away with it. All right, let's talk about uh, some feedback from listeners on our m- last episode on remembrance. Uh Richard Lecco right wrote on Facebook, it's tough to protect someone when you have no idea who they are and who you need to protect them from. Uh, in reference to Picard uh protecting, you know, beating himself up because he couldn't protect Dodge. So uh, that was a, a right. nice comment. Um, our friend Bennett Gillespie uh, writes a great podcast and agree with much that was said. Uh, spoiler if you haven't watched the show, but I shared Jimmy's feelings about the death of Dodge. I liked her too and wanted to know more, but I wondered if for me, it was more about the complete failure of Picard to be that protector, to keep her safe. Maybe I just need to rewatch. So um, mm-hmm. it, it Picard is the is the captain. He's the dad. He's the protector figure that we've always known. And he's he's now he's an older man. And we have to get used to just like with our own you know real fathers. They get to a point where they're not the same. We have to look at them differently because they've changed. I like that that Picard is different. And then Kelly Brown writes, uh, "I just finished listening. I was laughing at Jimmy's initial review." Uh, we, he really has oh, the, yeah. <laughs> he really has the tone of the reviews from certain channels down pat. Uh, and then she says, I love this episode and I'm very excited about this series. I can't wait to see where it goes. 
Patrick Stewart was, as usual, great. It's going to be interesting watching the other cast members come into the story. One complaint I do have was during the scene in the Daystrom Institute, when they were talking about how there was no other android like Data, I was shouting at my screen, what about Data's mother? In yes. Ma- in yeah. many ways, she mm. was more advanced than Data, so much so that she didn't even know she was an android. I think they may be able to explain that by the fact that so even even Data's mother didn't know she was an android. She was an android replacement for a human woman. Right. And right had the right. memories of the human woman. And so she thought she was a human woman and had elaborately been programmed to maintain this. And uh, and and so this was found out only because Data picked up on the fact because she's not like blinking into this according to a regular algorithm or something. <laughs> right. And, and so, um, so very few people knew about her at the end of that. She, they, they re they rebooted her and let her go on her way, still thinking she was a woman. So the only people who knew about this were a very small number of people. And even though a report likely might have been made about it in a captain's log or something. It's probably in a database somewhere. And this was not integrated into standard knowledge in the AI community. Right, right. They would have kept that information very close uh, so as not to get that out there. But Picard presumably would remember. Yes. Um, Interesting. So uh, that's it for feedback. And uh, if we have nothing more to add on that, I want to just take a Mm -hmm. moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Christina H., Thomas A., Caleb F., Nick S., and Rob G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give so that's it from us what did you think of maps and legends let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our facebook page at facebook.com slash starquest media or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com and we'll be back next time and we'll be discussing the next episode which is called the end is the beginning until then father Corey stika thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of star trek Glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bethanelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I never really cared for science fiction. I guess I just don't get it. <laughs>